The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Inquiries of Our Reality, do me a favor and drop me a review or rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, come join the Discord or Telegram groups for the show. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow me across social media to stay updated on the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe to my Patreon for just $5 a month, where you will receive early access to Inquiries of Our Reality big dumb inquiries, and bizarre encounters. You can also support the show by donating on Anchor or Ko-fi, which will help me upgrade equipment and hopefully eventually do this full-time so I can put out even more awesome content for you guys. If you guys want some t-shirts or other awesome merchandise for inquiries of our reality, big dumb inquiries, or bizarre encounters, stop by my Teespring store and get yourself something nice. If you're a creator or a listener, come check out Open Minds Media. We have an awesome community of great people who would love to meet you. From our featured creator podcast feed to chat rooms to even help questions, this is the place for you. For more information on the community, the podcast feed, and to stay updated on all the new things coming, check us out on social media, and all their links are available on our link tree. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered on the show, or you feel you can contribute to the show in any way, shape, or form, shoot me a message on social media or feel free to email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the link tree link to be directed. Or remember, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Increase of Our Reality Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone. I appreciate all of you, and I couldn't be doing this without your support. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality 
one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of All Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the now 56th episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today with me, I have again, Chaz of the Dead, author, paranormal researcher, and all-around cool guy. How's it going, bro? Oh, I'm awesome. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate you coming back on. So I guess uh, before we get too, too far into it and get into your new book, uh, just for people who didn't listen to the first episode you're on, why don't you give them a little brief description of who you are? Yeah, well, I, I write about weird shit, pretty much. Um, I, uh, am a paranormal investigator and researcher. I've, you know, traveled uh, across the world looking into strange locations, places, and stories. Um, my first book, Paranormal Expeditions Hunt for the Friendship, um, was a, a case I did in Chile and, um, people liked it. And, um, ever since then I've been writing articles and, uh, stories and, talking about weird shit um, all over the internet. So if you want to follow that, you can find me at Chaz of the Dead on all the social medias and then chazofthedead.com for my articles and weird appearances and stuff like that. So I guess to get uh, going for the first portion of the show, uh, I know that you have, by the time this is coming out, the book will already be out. But uh, why don't you give everybody an idea of what this new book is you're working on? Yeah, so I've got a, a new book coming out. It's A Place Between Time and Space. Um, It's a true story of UFOs, ghosts, and Florida's strangest home. Um, It's a a case I kind of got wrapped up in here in uh, North Florida. Um, You know, I I, I really like to do international cases and research and, you know, get my boots on the ground and do, you know, visit these far off locations. But I kind of was, you know, pandemic trapped like a lot of people. And uh, this case kind of uh, fell into my lap where it was it was kind of a well-known case, but no one had really investigated it from a, a truly paranormal angle. You had some traditional ufologists look at it back in the 70s, but no, no kind of Keelian, uh, you know, style researcher coming in and and pointing out these weird connections and. Um, once I started looking into them, they were so the implications were so important. I was, you know, swept up. And then the location itself also swept me up. It's such a weird um, place, not only the house itself, but uh, the island, the whole area this that I, I ended up researching. It's just a super bizarre, you know, one of those uh, liminal spaces almost um, that, that are so popular these days, but what the, the old school researchers called a window area. Um, and so this place, uh, Fort George Island, just north of Jacksonville, Florida, um, kind of became my, my pet project while I was, you know, Florida bound for the, the last few, uh, uh, few, uh, years, months, who knows how long it's been? It all blends together, honestly. <laughs> right? I can't even remember. <laughs> so I guess a good point to start with the story is I'd like to know what the what the original story is, I guess, without the paranormal aspect to it. And then after that, let's get into like the paranormal aspect of what you believe is paranormal about the story. Absolutely. So the original story and some of your listeners might be familiar if they're 
they're deep into ufology. It's not a surface level story, but it's there if you dig a little bit. Um, it's the the bet sphere is how it's most often referred to in uh, ufology. And this was a case that took place in the spring of 1974. Um, again, just north of Jacksonville, Florida, on an island called Fort George Island. Um, and a uh, this family who was living on the island discovered this metal sphere, um, big metal sphere. And the island has a long, long history of occupation, you know, European settlement, and even before that, native settlements. Um, and so they assumed maybe it was a cannonball or some kind of historical artifact. It, it was pretty shiny, but it was, you know, something odd they found um, in the woods on this island. So they, um, the oldest son, Terry, he brought it home and it sat in his room for two weeks, just, you know, sitting there. Was it like and dense? So it, the ball itself is it's a little bit bigger than uh, a large bowling ball. Um, it's hollow on the inside. And it sounds like when you shake it, it sounded like there were almost like tiny little glass pieces, something like that on the inside. Hmm. Um, and it, it sat there for two weeks until Terry was playing the guitar, his guitar in his room and the sphere reacted. It started to hum and make these noises and most bizarrely move on its own. And it seemed to move with intelligence. It would follow people around the house and it would, um, you know, move. Yeah, it would pretty much roll on its own. It was, you know, doing this almost and it almost acted like a pet. You know, if people were leaving out the back door, it would roll to the edge of the table and stop and like hang off the table almost as like, Hey, don't forget me. Like, I want to go with you. Um, it, it displayed this, you know, pseudo intelligence in its movements. And, um, you know, the, the family was amazed. And I think it's important to note that this was a well-off family. Um, the matriarch, Jerry Betts, um, she was a very, very impressive woman, um, is a very impressive woman. She's out there still. Um, she doesn't speak on the case, but she's a, a very uh, talented painter. You can purchase her paintings. Um, <clears throat> but at this time in the 70s, she owned a trucking company and a real estate company. Um, she even ran for city council. Again, a very enterprising woman for, for this time period. Mm -hmm. Um she, you know, uh, was like, wow, this is fucking weird. <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of told her friends and it spread throughout this Fort George community, which was a kind of like an upper class, you know, kind of, you know, fancier, snootier community in that area. They have the Rebalt club and it used to be a, uh, golf course, um, back way back pre, uh, depression era was a like gilded age hangout for Jacksonville's elite. Um, in the, in the 70s, it had kind of lost that mystique, but it was still, you know, mansions and stuff on the island. And from there, it spread to local news. Um, a local news uh, radio guy, um, he, uh, Ron, Ron something, I'm forgetting his name. Um, he came to the house and saw the sphere move on its own and, um, he's been 
interviewed recently and he was like yeah still to this day he's like yeah fuck man i saw it moved on its own <laughs> rolled to the edge of the table dangled there it was super weird never seen anything like it <laughs> never seen anything like it since is this spear um, still around somewhere so what happened to the sphere is actually quite a mystery um so after it takes off in local news the story starts to get a little fuzzy and it takes place over the span about a month after the ball starts moving but something does happen to it the family reports people around the family report that by the end of this month the sphere they had they didn't think was the same sphere um so two two more groups after the media get involved um first is the navy the navy actually has a a station right south of um Fort George Island at Mayport, um, right there at Jacksonville, big naval station, um, naval yard. They often station boats out there. Um, you know, aircraft carriers and the like will be stationed in the waters outside of Mayport. It's a big naval area right there, right next to Fort George Island. And so, you know, it was their neighbors essentially <laughs> with the Navy. And so the Navy was like, you got this weird sphere that moves around. We'll, we'll take a look at it. Um, and they conducted x-rays. And this is one, again, one of the first things that is, becomes a mixed report on what happens. So supposedly, initially, the report shows that there is something weird about this ball. It's got like weird magnetic properties and stuff like this. And then when Jerry, um, who being the, the shrewd and intelligent businesswoman she is, she drew up a contract that she had the Navy sign saying they'd give her the ball back if it wasn't their technology. And um, when she was like, okay, give me the ball back if it's not yours is what you're saying. They were like, well, we want to keep it though. And she said, no, 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 give it back to me. And then they released to the media that, oh, it's just a, it's a fake, it's a normal metal ball, nothing special about it. Um, <clears throat> so she supposedly gets the ball back and um, one of the, uh, the, the guy who hands it over, like pleads with her asking to keep it and stuff like that and supposedly doesn't. This is the first point though, where people get suspicious that something may have happened to this sphere. Of course, do we believe the Navy to, to give back the actual sphere? Uh, the second point comes in with famous ufologist, father of ufology, J. Allen Hynek. Um, he was working at the time for a panel in New Orleans um, put together by the National Enquirer of all publications, um, investigating the UFO phenomenon. They were going to give money to anyone who could, you know, produce ufo evidence and so they offered to fly out terry betts in the sphere and supposedly during this flight they get this terry gets this phone call or someone gets this phone call from his mom in this panic voice asking him to rush back to jacksonville and so he does and supposedly this is another point where he the family is separated from the sphere and something might have happened to the sphere um he gets back to jacksonville and it turns out that it's there's no emergency the whole thing is a put on either by they the family thinks it's the national Enquirer fucking with them like trying to get the sphere and trying to run tests on it 
without them around and stuff like that. But in a lot of other paranormal cases, these phantom phone calls pop up quite a bit. John Keel, during his Mothman investigations, a ton of these were reported by his witnesses. They would get these phone calls from voices that had knowledge about the case, knowledge about their interviews, sometimes even accurately imitating John Keel's voice to these, these witnesses. So this weird kind of trickery through the phones is something that tends to pop up in these kinds of cases. Do you think it's like a paranormal uh, thing? Like, uh, do you think it's one people that know things that are messing with them or do you think it's strictly something like paranormal that's communicating through somebody else's voice possibly well it's hard to say in this case in particular because we aren't sure which at what point the ball was truly tampered with we know it was tampered with from the reports of the family they said at the start of the month this ball was moving around at the on its own and doing weird shit by the end of the month it stopped and so uh, the third point is when J. Allen Hynek, as almost as like kind of an apology about the, the shady shit with the panel, he agrees to come to the home and investigate the sphere himself. And the story goes in the middle of the night, they caught J. Allen Hynek fiddling with it, like fucking with it. And some people think he swapped it out. He had a big kind of like bowling bag bowling ball bag with him when he was there they think he may have swapped it out um his adult son um in an interview recently recalled playing with a big metal sphere from florida was his words in his basement as a kid um so there's these weird pieces of evidence that shows heineck wound up with it um but whatever happened this story essentially shot up into super popularity in the 70s in Jacksonville. And so much so that it was a national story, the National Enquirer. These people were flying them across, you know, state lines. The Navy got involved and people began showing up on Fort George Island and like camping on their property and like <laughs> knocking at their, ringing the, the house all hours of the night. And, you know, Again, Jerry Betts is a successful businesswoman. She is doesn't need this shit. At first, she thinks it's interesting. She's like super captivated by this weird story. You know, she's a super inquisitive mind. The reason she bought this house in the first place was is because it's this big, spooky, supposedly haunted house on this hill. Um, it's unlike any other structure in Florida. It's, it's literally a house on a hill where we don't even have hills. And it's the tallest point built onto the tallest point um, in the county. And it has a basement, again, something you don't see in Florida. It has so many different levels and it's, it's super bizarre structure. Um, and that's why she liked it. She was like a weird haunted house <laughs> sold. I'm going to live in it. <laughs> well, I guess another question before we go too far into, because I'm curious about this house now, what's mm. like the paranormal uh, history to the house itself? Like when she bought it. So yeah, the house is, is definitely um, that was the first part of this story that um, felt untold um, because the, the house itself had haunting legends associated with it long before this woman moves in and finds a UFO. Um, and of course, people into the paranormal will know this trend 
of high strangeness that, you know, the phenomenon might be the weirdest in a month uh, in some time in 1974 in the spring. But the phenomenon happens repeatedly. It's almost cyclical. It, it occurs again and again, and it has these different manifestations. So the house um, was and still is called um, in some you know, reportings of it, the Neff House. It was built for a man named Nettleton Neff. Um, he was a railroad engineer slash executive. Um, and <clears throat> he had it built as a summer home. Um, and he wanted this kind of like castle structure and he took it to uh, a famous architect from Jacksonville, Melvin Greeley. Uh, many of his buildings around Jacksonville are historical landmarks, um, very, you know, renowned architect, again, gilded age architect when the, that was like the fanciest job you could have, you know? Um, so he, he brought it to this guy and he said, okay, let me drop some things, but your, your ideas have inspired me. Here's another set of drawings that I think captures what you're going for. And Nettleton Neff said, hell yeah, that's the house. Like that's from my vision. Um, the house itself is it's castle like it's the, the main entrance is a tower, this, you know, conical tower, um, three stories tall. Uh, it's got a balcony on the second floor. Uh, it spreads off into two sections there. Uh, to the right is where your bedrooms and um, a library was, several, several different um, rooms and bathrooms and stuff. And to the left is this grand hall. It's really like a hall out of a castle. It has a fireplace at the end. Um, it, it looks like you should have one of those long Viking <laughs> you know, tables in the center of it. Um, and it ends off into like a sunroom, which is all boarded up now. None of the window, you know, all the windows are, you know, broken. It's replaced by plywood. But at the very end would have been this this bright sunroom that led to the the patio. Um, there was a third wing of the house which was demolished. Um, Jerry Betts actually built onto the house, adding like this kitchen and this garage area. Um, but it was this this massive castle it, it really was it's in this trudor style it's so bizarre when you see it because it, it looks it looks like you you know you're walking through a, a florida swamp and then sitting on a hill is this european style castle <laughs> and you're like what the fuck but you know there's nothing nothing around that looks like that um and this was nettleton neff's vision um, but his family never moved into the house. They started to die in these really tragic and um, in the, the first case, mysterious circumstances. Um, the first to go was his wife who died at another property the family owned in a fire. The newspapers called it a mysterious fire. Um, no other you know, follow up was ever published. So we don't really know what happened in that mysterious fire. Um, but we know next to go was his adult son who was attending Harvard. Um, he disappeared and they searched for him for weeks um, until he was found um, and he had killed himself. He was uh, hanging in an apple orchard. Um, he had committed suicide. 
And finally, Nettleton Neff shot himself in his office at the, the railroad company, I believe, in um, St. Louis. Uh, <clears throat> and so died in the house. None of them died in the house, which is very interesting. Now, they had boxes of their things that had been shipped there um, and they had like prepared to move in and stuff, but they never moved in and, and none of them died in the house. Um, he had two more daughters and um, it's speculated, but I wasn't able to confirm that one of them also took their lives um, and only the one, the last remaining child. She eventually did see the house. Um, but no, they never moved in. And so the house sat empty, um, <clears throat> again, on Fort George Island, where this it used to be this affluent area. This golf course was built kind of around it, but it had the depression had hit and this family never moved in. And the golf course started to turn into Florida swamp very quickly. It's very surprising how fast it happens here. Um, <laughs> it's almost anywhere, man. You leave stuff mm -hmm. alone long enough, like even golf courses, anything in Michigan, dude, that shit mm -hmm. gets taken over quick. <laughs> very, very quick. And, and so it starts to turn into this woods and there's this big empty house filled with these boxes. It looks like a castle. It's sitting on the hill by itself. It's, it's a good distance from all the other properties because it's on a, a chunk of land. Um, and people start hearing voices and seeing lights and hearing um, telephone ring out, even though no phone's connected. And hearing an organ play, you know, like a Dracula's castle. But an organ's never been in the house. Um, and so these, it, it kind of became this, this center of urban legends. And to the point where Jerry Betts heard about it. And she went out and saw it. And she like, sold, I'll take it. <laughs> Haunted house. <laughs> That's fucking cool. I want that. I'm moving in. Let's do it. Um, and uh, again, impressive woman. She was very interesting character. Um, and so she moved in and even gave interviews about like, oh, yeah, people say it's haunted. And we've definitely experienced experienced some weird stuff. Um, you know, we've seen some lights on the property, but it's probably just phosphorus in the soil. Like she has these like, yeah, I've experienced all this weird stuff, but it was probably just this and that. Um, she told of one instance where she was having a dinner party and they were all, you know, talking and chit chatting and they heard a crash. And they went to the kitchen. The kitchen door was locked. They unlocked it, went into the kitchen. The dishes were broken. They had teleported out of a locked cabinet and smashed onto the ground and you know she like you know showed her guests like oh you know haunted house isn't it wacky <laughs> and <laughs> it really was like she kind of like just rolled with it um <clears throat> and so uh the same was her approach when her son found this weird metal sphere um <clears throat> and again right haunted house weird metal sphere you know, there's speculation on whether it's real or not, that sphere being, you know, something mechanically strange or not. Um, a lot of people will assume that, oh, well, it was in a haunted house. So maybe 
the ghosts were just pushing the ball around. And that's why it was acting like that, which is a fair assumption. I, I understand that. I had that thought too. But then the story of Fort George Island doesn't stop in 74. It continued and it continued very recently in 2015. Um, and actually for us as researchers, even more recently, it continued when the Navy released those famous Navy UFO videos through the New York Times, you know, Tom DeLonge, the, the famous three videos. You have the, the Tic Tac one that David Fravor saw. And he's the guy that was on Joe Rogan and did all the, you know, he's, he's the guy that does all the rounds. Um, but the two other videos were released as well. The gimbal video, which is probably the most famous image wise, it's of that like saucer looking thing. It's the black and white infrared camera and it's that saucer looking thing. And it's like rotating in a weird way and kind of like hanging in the air there. And it looks like your classic UFO flying saucer. And that's why it's kind of the, you know, the poster child of the videos. Um so the third video, though, was filmed the same day as the gimbal video. It was filmed at the same location. Um, that location was the Atlantic Ocean just outside of Mayport Naval Station in Jacksonville, Florida. The third video shows a metal sphere traveling right across, right above the ocean. It's called the Go Fast video. And it's called that because it's going fucking fast. They're using this camera, which again, its entire job is to lock on to objects. And they're trying to catch it. And they're like, fuck, man, I can't. The, the pilots themselves are like, I can't get it. I, there it is. I can see it. And then it locks on and they're like, whoa, we got it. <laughs> like, they're, they're like we, we got that fucker. It's hauling ass. And it can't be confirmed, but from the, the video and the, the uh, angles and things, it, the trajectory of where that sphere is heading looks pretty much exactly towards the coast, exactly where Fort George Island would be. One of oh. these metal spheres, it looks almost exactly like the Bet Sphere, and it's not very large. It's one of these kind of probe-looking spheres, and it's filmed in the vicinity where, you know, 40 years ago, almost, almost exactly 40 years ago, it was what, 41 years ago, but when they filmed that video, the, a family found this big metal sphere and it moved around and the Navy investigated it. Now, again, through my research at the time in 74, um, no one knew this because they didn't have access to the, the data banks we have now, but Mayport Naval Station by the 1974 had already experienced two prior UFO incidents. Um, there were two reports submitted by people much later on that, you know, in 52 and um, 1952 and blanking on the second one. Um, but they had these two separate incidents where um, fighter jets were scrambled and like the, there a, a big glowing light hung over the naval airfield and like the alarms were rung and classic military sightings. The higher ups came in and said, don't tell anyone about this shit ever, you know, shut your mouths. You didn't see anything. Mm -hmm. um, but again, these guys were like, it was fucking weird. You know, everyone was talking about it the next day. <laughs> 
and kind of these classic military reports where it is compartmentalized, so they don't really know that much, but they're like, man, I, yeah, I saw a UFO. And so the, the brass at Mayport Station certainly was interested in UFOs. And in 1974, this was still fairly recent. You know, they wouldn't have forgotten about those incidents. And so when they had one of these Foo Fighters, as they would have, you know, been referring to it, supposedly on the island, I'm sure they took that very, very seriously. Um, so again, we, the, the history of this island, it's, it's bizarre, um, from the, the house itself, the haunting legends to the UFOs and their interactions in the area, in the, the naval station nearby. Um, and if you go further back in the Fort George Island, a short walk from where this castle is built, um, there's a plantation. Kingsley Plantation. Um, and no surprise, like lots of plantations through the South, it's attracted its own ghostly legends. Um, from your classic ghostly woman in white, you know, seen in the hallways of the, the plantation and wandering through the fields at night, um, to a more specific legend about a red-eyed entity. Um, and it's the, the legend of old red eyes and supposedly old red eyes was a slave who had killed or assaulted another slave or killed a bunch of children. Um, though again, it's one of these oral legends. So it kind of changes depending on who's telling it. Um, <clears throat> but old red eyes was a slave who killed other slaves. And so the slaves themselves got together and lynched them, um, which again is the super weird detail that it was the other slaves that got together and, and did this, this lynching, which I thought at first I assumed was just, you know, like a, a weird white guilt thing <laughs> where <laughs> yeah. like, you know, we as white people had just gone back and we're like, well, we'll just change it and make the black people do it. And that way it doesn't feel racist. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. Um, <laughs> Well, that's what I assumed until I got into um, Zephaniah Kingsley, the guy who owned the plantation. And he was super strange. Um, people remarked that his dining room was filled with portraits of naked black women. Um, he believed in like he did. He didn't believe in Christianity. He did this weird African. He adopted this weird African tradition of um like this tribal tradition specifically so he could marry multiple women. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he, he was a weird dude, but he believed in the Spanish system of slavery where like, if you were light colored, you were better. Um, and he actually wrote in these manifestos again in the 1800s that mixed race people were superior to both black people and white people. Like he was this weird proponent that like, the you know the mixed race person is the superior person and that they should have all the rights as a uh, white people should have and he allowed his slaves he gave them specific like working hours and after working hours were done they were allowed to sell you know any excess you know stuff if they did crafts they could buy their freedom from him eventually and he would again sell um, 
the, these slaves their own freedom. And he got in a lot of trouble with the other plantation owners for doing shit like this. Um, you know, one of his wives, uh, Anna Kingsley, ended up taking over a second plantation and like she ran it. She was in charge of it. Again, she was an African woman from Africa who, who was this plantation owner. So they had this super weird system of uh, slavery on Kingsley plantation, you know, still brutal. He was still bringing in illegal slaves after the end of the Atlantic trade and shit like this. He, he was still, a, a, you know, a, villain your classic capitalist you know baron <laughs> villain um but it he did have this super weird kind of system set up on his island that would allow the old red eye story to that weird bit about it being you know you know a crime solved within the slave community and you know justice being dealt out by the slaves that actually sounds like something zephaniah might you know, allow um, compared to some of these other places. But again, you what what the whole Kingsley story shows is that the island starts to have this meld of traditions um, and occult beliefs. And that goes even further back. We can take the timeline even further back before it was the plantation. Um, for thousands of years, it was occupied by the Timucua Native Americans. And there's shell middens. If you drive through the island today, you're driving past these ancient shell middens where it's, you know, just stacks of oyster shells and stuff. Um, and the, the hill that the, the castle's built on supposedly is partially, you know, thought to be part of these middens, you know, partly constructed. Um, so you, you have this continued occupation um the first european explorer to land there was jean ribault a french huguenot um, and he uh said the first protestant prayer ever to be prayed in north america and he prayed that prayer on fort george island um so again for it's very much the start, the physical start of a religious based genocide that would occur over the next few hundred years. Um, after, ironically, he built a fort in that area. We don't know exactly where that fort was built, Fort Caroline. Um, we know it was built around the mouth of the St. John's River. Fort George Island's a likely, um, because of its elevation is a likely uh, candidate for that fort. But we do know the Spanish landed 40 miles south, marched an army uh, through a hurricane and massacred all of the French settlers in that fort. Um, and that settlement 40 miles south was St. Augustine. And so they wiped out this French settlement. And if they hadn't, Fort George Island might very well be the oldest European city in North America. Um, but this, this, the Spanish got to him first. Of course. <laughs> um, how that goes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So actually Jean Rivault led a sneak attack at the same time the Spanish was marching North. Um, he was going to sail South to St. Augustine and burn it. And he had got all his men on ships and stuff. Um, but that hurricane hit and it turns out the Spanish had a better job marching through the hurricane 
than they did sailing through it. And his fleet was shipwrecked um, several miles south of, of St. Augustine. Um, and by the time they had marched north, you know, half of them had drowned and they were half starving and they ran into the rest of the Spanish army who, who massacred them at a, a little river inlet. And um, it's the Mantan. Martin, uh, my Spanish is shit right now. <laughs> Matananza uh, Inlet there, the Massacre Inlet. Um, it's still named for where Jean Rivault was was put to death with the rest of his uh, his crew. Um, so again, really dark <laughs> occult <laughs> history off the bat. You know, everywhere Rivault landed, there were ghost stories that he set up a settlement as well uh, on his first trip in North Carolina. And there's this ghost that appears in this mansion um, in Beaufort in South Carolina called the Gouch. And it's this little jester dwarf entity. And um, supposedly, according to uh, people who've communicated with it back in the, the early 1900s, uh, when you know spiritualism was was still kind of the vibe, they the dwarf told them that he was a, a jester for Jean Ribault. He was part of the crew that sailed there, and he was left behind at the fort um, and was massacred. And that's why he his spirit is hangs around this area. Um, again, super weird stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Spanish had a uh, mission on the island because, again, the Native Americans were there. So they, they were trying to convert them um, for several years. Not a lot is written um, or maybe I should say preserved from that time period. A lot of the Spanish records um, aren't really about. There's a church where the old mission used to be um, on the island now. Uh, old, very kind of classic uh, gothic kind of looking church uh, wood but still very european um and yeah so it's just this place that that again has kind of been a spiritual i don't know god it, it sounds cheesy but spiritual battleground <laughs> for yeah. for a lot of ideas and and well and just spirituality as a whole from it's evolution of being simply, Oh, well, it's either Jesus or filthy pagans, <laughs> you know, <laughs> blasphemers. We got to convert them or kill them um, to the more in-depth ideas of the 1800s and 1900s of ghosts and hauntings and what is spirit and what is the afterlife and, and what forms do those take and then it seems that it's evolved once again to meet our current modern expectations. The expectations of UFOs starting in the 70s, where the sphere is physically found and handed around from a bunch of people and it moves and it's seen by dozens and dozens. To today, where the military is still filming these spheres in the vicinity of this island. Um, and it's, it's one of these cases where people are, again, oh, a family found a sphere one time in Florida. Those Florida people, you know, look at them, crazy old Florida. What a, a weird story. When 
just like places like Point Pleasant and other uh, Pascagoula in Mississippi at Singing River, these window areas that have had stories and legends from hundreds and hundreds of years of bizarreness and strangeness of the paranormal. And it's, you know, easy to, to say, well, ghosts are one thing and then UFOs are another thing. And it's, it's easy to say that. But when you look at the phenomenon and you look at these things closely, you, you can't ignore these coincidences. You can't ignore the coincidence that this magical moving sphere was in a haunted house for most of its <laughs> moving events. You know what I mean? And does that mean, doesn't mean ghosts are pushing the, the ball around. Perhaps the entire house, the entire area is under some kind of alteration of gravity or space or time just by the ball's presence. And that's the source of those paranormal activity. And again, if, if it's a fluctuation of time, the, you could have something happening like, like the end of interstellar where you have something happening in deep space that's manifesting itself as a dish teleporting outside of a closed cabinet and breaking on Jerry Betts's floor. You know, it, it could be a side effect of, of whatever these unknown physics uh, that surround these objects are. So, I mean, from your explanation too, like what, like, what do you, what do you think the cubes are exactly like, or not cubes, but the spheres are like, where do you think they like came from one, and two, like, what, what do you think is, like, their purpose if you just had to make an educated guess on it? I uh, See, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's the question I, I, I've been wrestling with for a while. I have a, another case I'm working on, um, hopefully uh, by uh, the end of next year. Um, I'll be doing a, a, a case in Africa that kind of looks at this same question of these spheres. Um, but you don't have to go as far flung as Africa to find one of these spheres. They're, they're all over and they're around. You can look up your state and ghost light and you'll find a place that supposedly these, these spheres of light, these paranormal spheres pop up. Um, Brown Mountain um, has a, a famous set of, of lights People see a uh, National um, Geographic photographer actually captured the light on like an infrared camera. And it does. It has this willow wisp kind of like plasma you feel. And it moves in a way that is almost unexplainable. It almost has like an after image. It's really hard to describe. It, and these spheres are always associated with high strangeness. Um, in Brown Mountain, they, they thought it was, um, you know, the lanterns of Apache ghosts. Um, nowadays, the, or in more recent times, there was a guy who said he followed one of the lights into a cave. And under the mountain was this E.T. base filled with UFOs. <laughs> Again, you have this evolution of the phenomenon surrounded by one of these spheres. Um, Marfa, Texas, similar thing. Um, you have, again, these, these lights that first showed up um, 
when uh, settlers to the West were going, they thought they were campfires from Native Americans, but uh, but they found that the Native Americans were like, oh no, that's not us. We we call them the fallen stars. We we see them all the time. Um, and again, this legend of these these spheres having a, a connection to the stars and. Uh, of course, people nowadays have these more of a UFO kind of feel associated towards the, the Marfa lights. You know, I, when I was there, I had a guy tell me that one flew towards his school bus and kind of inspected the school bus in like an intelligent manner, kind of like window to window, like looking up and down and then flew off. And again, showing this intelligent control, um, in, uh, Australia, they have the Min Min lights in the outback. People see all the time, again, these strange, unexplainable orbs of light. Um, there's another one in Texas, Bragg Road, where they, they renamed the road um, Scenic Ghost Light Drive. And it's this <laughs> weird, uh, that one I actually think is an optical illusion. The road is so perfectly straight that, like, if I turned on my phone light, and you were like, you know, a few miles down it, you would see the light as like this weird, it, it has this weird. Um, the one that actually has the ghostly name is the optical illusion. Of yeah, course. <laughs> it, it definitely feels like an optical illusion. Um, just when you watch cars drive down it, their lights look different than car lights normally look, even in the daytime. Um, so that one is iffy. But again, that's kind of been the scientific approach to all of these lights is that they appear so frequently that they've been shocked up to, Oh, it must be like plasma or swamp gas or something. Like, it's just something we, we can't figure out it happens every day. What do you mean? You can't figure it out. <laughs> you yeah, know what exactly. I mean? Like it's, it's this weird mystery that like no one seems all that concerned with. Um, and there are some people who have noticed this and pointed it out. And there's some far out there theories that UFOs are sentient plasma beings that are just part of this ecosystem. And most of the time they're outside of the visible light spectrum. So we don't see them, but, you know, they can phase in and out. Again, all of the, the theories get a little crazy once you start getting into them. That's why I personally don't try to prescribe too deep into any of them. <clears throat> um, for the book, I looked into a theory called quantum paranormal. Um, and already by the name, <laughs> you <laughs> can tell <laughs> that it's, it's um, not very quantum. But uh, the, this researcher from the UK, Patrick Jackson, this is his like encompassing theory. And he thinks that these UFO spheres, they are UFOs, they're probes from an alien intelligence, and <clears throat> they're invisible most of the time in a quantum state. <laughs> anytime, anytime something magic happens, it's quantum. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta put a name um, on it somehow. Uh, right. <laughs> that makes it sound so woohoo. You put quantum on it and it sounds better. <laughs> uh, right. Then it's science. Um, and they're mostly invisible in these, these quantum states. And um, when they are, that's what like ghosts and poltergeist phenomenon are. Like that is what explains it. It's these spheres and they're invisible 
and they're trying to like scare you away because they don't want you to get sick from being close to them. And that's why they'll like scratch you or like people's eyes will be burned after a paranormal investigation. Um, it's an out there theory <laughs> to say the least. There, there, there's some logical issues with it. Um, but there, there are these attempts and kind of this, this shift that the sphere seems to be a trend. It seems to be a, a solid um, across the, the, uh, the vast reports. So uh, the, the case I'm looking into Africa, the ghost of the Kalahari, very underreported phenomenon. No one's written about it in decades. Um, but there's lots of, again, it has this trend. In the colonial era, you have people seeing these spheres of light and then associating them with women in white dresses, the phantom of a, a colonial era spirit. You, you have your kind of classical ghost stories. Modern times, you have people seeing it. It follows their car. They have missing time. Um, it has this classic UFO feel to it. But in this one swath, this one area where there isn't as much of a colonial presence, isn't quite as modernized as some of the, the more urban areas, there's this belief that this glowing light, once you get close to it, it's a flying snake. This giant flying <laughs> snake. It's got smoke coming out of its nose. It's got cobra flaps that it uses as wings. Um, and it will suck the blood out of your, your cattle. It'll leave these big puncture marks, these perfectly burned holes, and suck all the blood out. Again, like a UFO cattle mutilation. Um, and interestingly, though, it's not strictly across um, ethnic lines. There's been some research into this when it comes to more simple things like color um, and stuff like that, that show that we do based on our cultural beliefs and stuff like that, um, see things differently. Uh, but you have Dutch settlers in this area who are sheep farmers saying, yeah, I saw the giant snake and it sucked the blood out of my sheep. <laughs> and again, it leaves scorch marks, these burn marks on the animals and on the ground very similar to UFOs. Um, and it has this big glowing light on its head. And so from far away, it just looks like a sphere of light. But once it gets close, then it takes form. Um, and I don't have a, a solid 100% theory, but if I, I would say my, my best guess is that's probably true for all of the, these spheres, that it will turn into whatever your, your expectations, whatever your cultural predisposition, you know, inclinates. Um, if you're a UFO guy, you're going to see UFOs. If you only believe in ghosts, you're a ghost hunter, you're going to see a ghost. Um, I think there's a lot of people who, um, well, I think the modern skinwalker phenomenon might be a manifestation of this as well. Um, we, we have a couple good reports of UFO or I'm sorry, of Bigfoots being associated with these balls of light, um, from them morphing from a ball of light into a Bigfoot. 
Um, there's an incident here in Florida, the Barden Booger, which is this Bigfoot who supposedly carries this lantern. It always has this, this light glowing next to it. Um, uh, I think skinwalkers, the kind of modern skinwalker, um, not the traditional native shaman who can shapeshift. Um, the skinwalkers we see like on the internet, there's like weird deer animal kind of monstrosity creatures. I think that is what happens when you don't believe in any paranormal spiritual stuff whatsoever. You see your mind sees something and it tries to rationalize it. You're in the woods. Well, it's got to be an animal. So it gives it this weird animal filter, but it doesn't quite fit. Right. And so it doesn't fit. So your mind says, well, it's an animal, but it's scary because we don't understand it. You got to get away from it. And so you get these weird fucking monster creatures that, that a lot of people refer to as the skinwalker. Um, it's almost like a half thought in a sense from like how you're right. describing it, that it like it's, half it's an unfinished because you haven't right quite projection. figured out what you think it is either. Exactly. Um, again, just a, a, a thought. I'm not even sure if I'd call it a theory. Um, but it, again, when we look at these, the, the phenomenon as a whole, um, and it's not just the spheres, the spheres aren't associated with all cases. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of other manifestations of the paranormal, but it does seem to be one of these trends, one of these things that carries through, um, throughout these these cases spherical light what does that mean i don't know <laughs> it could be you know if you think about a black hole it sucks in all the light and it looks like a big circle in space maybe a sphere of lights what it looks like on the other end <laughs> who knows again there's these infinite possibilities of of what that could be but I think it's it's important to have these discussions because it's not it's not as simple as it's aliens from another planet. That doesn't explain what's going on here. And I think the reason the Fort George case is so important is because it directly ties to those military videos where those are kind of the poster child of like, hey, it might be aliens, it might be Russia, it might be China, but it's something and we got to, you know, get our guns ready for it. <laughs> That's kind of the poster child for that. And I'm not saying don't get your guns ready by no means. Get, get, this is America. Get your guns up. Let's, you know. <laughs> Have them already. What do you mean? <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> but um, the, the idea that it's, you know, little green men from Alpha Centauri is, is it's out of touch. It's not, they're missing key components or maybe they're not, maybe they're hearing this and they're like, yeah, whatever, jackass, we've got a portal in our fucking basement. You don't know what you're <laughs> talking about. The, the light spheres, they're our bros. They're from whatever dimension. <laughs> See it like while you're talking about that, I've kind of had like a weird theory I've been kind of thinking about. So I'm sure that you've heard, kind of heard this whole concept about paranormal things, not necessarily being paranormal, but rather being like a thinning in the veil where you're seeing something potentially in another dimension or in another universe. So theoretically, if 
there's areas that are known for things like this, like the multiple areas that you've been talking about. Uh, what if it is either one, it is something paranormal or two, it is a thinning of the veil in some way, shape or form, which would explain where the lights come from. Because what if there is some type of extraterrestrial interdimensional life that's interested in areas like that. So then they send out like you're kind of saying with like probes, mm-hmm. but these probe lights to check out those areas. So that's why we end up associating these lights with these paranormal areas is because it could altogether be either interdimensional or extraterrestrial things also trying to research these areas because they know that there's something up with these areas. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's also something I like to reiterate when getting into the theories is that multiple theories could be true, right? We could have our own UFOs and there's alien UFOs. And then there's these transdimensional UFOs that neither of us understand. All three of those could be true. They don't have to be, you know, mutually exclusive. And so as an investigator, as a researcher, I th- the best approach that I try to take is the, the bottom-up approach. Because all of these theories are essentially top-down, right? They're, here's what it is. And here's how it explains everything. And they kind of, you kind of just pick and choose examples. <laughs> right. That, that, that fit the theory. And I have yet to find a theory that covers the blanket of high strangeness that the paranormal phenomenon truly encapsulates. Um, and that being said, starting from the bottom and spending all this time looking at it, there are some trends. There are certainly some things. Um, And uh, location is one of them that I actually started with as kind of like a for granted. Well, there's certain locations where these things happen more often than not. But as my research has continued, I'm not quite sure it's the location more than it's the story. And it's these locations, they, they have a story, an original, an old story. There's an old story. And like Fort George Island, if you look hard, sometimes there's even an older story. <laughs> and sometimes there's even an older story. Um, John Rebalt, when he landed on Fort George Island, he erected this big pillar. It was supposed to mark off, like the, be the southern border of the French territory he was marking off. Um, and the Native Americans, he noted on the island, because again, fully occupied island, he was <laughs> staking a claim on. <laughs> um, they like started to leave gifts and like treat this this island as an altar. Now, not almost nothing is written about the Timucuan uh, Native religion, what they believed and stuff like that. But it shows that they they did have an occult system right they they turn like this is a weird stone pillar like this is clearly some has some kind of importance and incorporated it into some kind of of local religion stuff again the spiritualism that predates europeans you know for who knows how long and whatever that that system was based on predates and goes even further um in point pleasant with west virginia you have the curse of Chief Cornstalk, who uh, was unfairly killed. They, they killed him by accident while he was, you know, a um, political prisoner. Huge kerfluffle. 
um, terrible for native relations in the area. Not that the, you know, European settlers cared. Um, but he cursed the land. And then there's this legend that there would be this, this long standing curse and there would be no prosperity in the, the area of Point Pleasant. Uh, again, this occult tradition <laughs> that has kind of the basis. Years later, you have this, this total evolution. And again, how does a Native American dude saying a curse have anything to do with a Mothman? I'm not sure. <laughs> I want to reiterate that. I, I don't know. But I know that that story happening, existing, is a key for whatever happened next. Because it happens in all of these window zones. Pascagoula, Mississippi, I mentioned earlier. That's where two dudes were abducted by these robot-looking aliens. Um, the police investigated and found them credible. They passed lie detectors. They like tried. They bugged them. They put them in a room with uh, listening devices and like try to catch them like planning their story and stuff like that. Couldn't find anything like that. Um, it's considered one of these these grade A abduction cases. And the area where they were abducted, they were fishing on a river called Singing River. And it's called Singing River because the original French governor of Louisiana, he heard this phantom song in this portion of the river. And that he was told that this Native American tribe, instead of being killed and enslaved by another tribe, they decided to sing their death chant and drown themselves in this river. And you can hear their songs eternally. Um, and again, this was hundreds of years ago, this dude was told this story and in the 1600s. And um, supposedly the story dates back from way, way long before that. And again, it seems that, um, I, I like to put it this way, that stories are our original psychedelic drug. Maybe not original. We might have taken magic mushrooms first, actually. But <laughs> Yeah, going into stoned ape theory. <laughs> so, yeah, if that's true, then it's not the original, but it's one of them. It's one of the top, you know, hallucinogenic experiences that we do daily and we take for granted. If you imagined anything I've been talking about tonight, if you pictured that castle in your head or that sphere moving around, then I made you hallucinate a thing. <laughs> I, I've cast a spell on you. And it's, it's, I think that is a key part of these locations. The fact that it has history, it has these stories, whether the history is true or not, as long as it has that occult leaning, whether it's a, a, a made up spooky story or it's a, a um, you know, true bizarre history, something like a murder, right? Think about any haunted house ever. It always has a, a, this tragic backstory and that that seems to be a key element. Um, the light spheres seem to be little less key, but again, common enough to be one of those common traits. Mm. Um, and again, if you look at these common traits, they tend to line up with the psychedelic experience in a lot of situations. Uh, missing time's another one where like I've had missing time on psychedelic drugs. <laughs> I, I was looking at the wall 
thought I was doing it for maybe five, 10 minutes, two hours had gone by. <laughs> Dude, you want to talk then, about that? There was one time I took some uh, acid and I thought I was staring at this poster for maybe like 10 minutes. It was uh, the Sons of Anarchy one with Jack's like his back with the skull in it. Shit you not, bro. It was like metal. a good six hours. <laughs> Felt like yeah. it was maybe like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the reverse occurs too, where you, um, especially on certain psychedelics, salvia, DMT, where you're, the high only lasts a few minutes, but you people report living decades in these other alternate lives and having shared the sentience of a, a shoe under the bed for 15 months um, before they came back from their, their salvia trip. Again, both of those instances are reported in UFO abductions. Um, you have Travis Walton, the fire of the sky case. He thought he was gone for a few hours. He was gone for a week. Um, you know, the police thought his coworkers had murdered him. Um, it's one of the best, if not the best documented abduction yeah. case. How many people were involved in that? There was like six people or whatever. Involved yes, that all it had was the same seven story. of his coworkers. They all said, yeah, he walked <laughs> off towards a UFO. The UFO shot him with like a beam. And we drove up. We got the fuck out of there. <laughs> I always like to reiterate how many people are involved with that story because uh -huh. a lot of people like to be skeptics, but it's kind of hard to be when that many people are involved. <laughs> so there's a similar case in South America, the Corporal Valdez case. Um, and I wrote about this one uh, in my first book. Um, the Corporal Valdez was leading this training mission. Again, seven other dudes are there on this training mission. They see this light descend. Um, they're in South America in Chile in the Andes Mountains. They see this light descend on the opposite hill. Corporal Valdez walks off towards it and vanishes. The light disappears and he disappears. Um, 15 minutes later, the light comes back, drops him off, and he's, they, they find him in the field screaming and like in and out of consciousness, freaking out. Um, but the weirdest part was that he disappeared. He was cleanly shaven. When he reappeared, he had a week's worth of beard growth and the time on his watch or the date on his watch was forward a week. Um, so, and again, this was testified to by all of the, the uh, people there. They brought in a local professor from the university nearby to like in, as part of the, the military debriefing. Um, and he recorded the whole debriefing these dudes are terrified. They're like absolutely freaked out. And yeah, the professor testified, yep, this dude's got a beard now. And they say he was shaven before he disappeared. So again, you have the reverse of the, the missing time, both directions, not even missing times, not even the right word for it. It's more like time fluctuation. Time is different. Um, <coughs> again, in, in um, the Travis Walton case, you have another trend that pops up, um, the seeing of strange worlds, which, of course, everyone's heard about under psychedelics. But seeing these weird medical labs with roofs that like extend possibly tall and strange hangars, alien planets, weird landscapes. Um, these are seen not only uh, in UFO cases, abduction cases, but in like ghostly cases too. People get visions and have, or, or you know, astral projects to various realms where they see things like this. Um, 
missing time happens in paranormal cases too. I've heard of cases with Ouija boards, which I don't necessarily believe anything is demonic about a Ouija board. I roll my joints on one. I'm fine. <laughs> um, but I've heard cases where people thought they were using it for a few minutes and hours had passed. Um, so it, it happens with all of these paranormal incidences. Even Bigfoot gets associated with a lot of weird high strangeness. Um, and again, most of these high strangeness things are, are very similar to shit that happens when you're on psychedelics, <laughs> where it's just reality is a little weird sometimes. <laughs> and the psychedelic experience tends to point that out. And for whatever reason, paranormal experiences tend to as well. So do you think that there's like a, a connection between like the solid psychedelics and the paranormal? Or do you think that it's just that there's a lot of similar experiences in the aspect of it being like, if it is part of like, say another like realm that's within our realm, it's almost like when you take psychedelics, you also get a glimpse into that realm. Uh, well, again, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I assume that the, the, the psychedelic similarities has something to do with what we discussed earlier, with our consciousness putting our filter on the phenomenon, um, right? It, we're desperately, it's the brain's attempts to desperately understand what the fuck you're looking at. And some people see Bigfoot. Some people see skinwalkers. Some people see aliens. And the, the process of applying that filter is uh, uses some kind of psychedelic substance in the brain, perhaps. Um, or it's, again, chicken or the egg. Or whatever mechanism of physics that the the phenomenon is using to manifest fucks with us in a psychedelic way it, it could be a side effect of interacting with the phenomenon which is almost one that i i tend to lean towards too um because most people it seems like a, a lot of the abduction experiencers and stuff like that a lot of times it sounds like someone describing their first psychedelic trip um, and they just don't have, they just don't have a frame of reference. Oftentimes you hear it was, it was realer than realer, real. It, you know, it, the, the light looked more tangible than it does normally. And, and, and again, I'm like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, fucking rock on. <laughs> Um, but most of these people, again, most of the uh, UFO experiencers, a lot of rural people, a lot of back, you know, country areas where, where this stuff occurs, they're not so familiar with, with that experience. Um, and interestingly, now in the, the modern era, you do have some, you know, more investigators who are, and, and this trend keeps popping up that, uh, I had a really weird paranormal experience and I think it was related to the psychedelics I did either before or after, or 
um, during the, the ones that happen during, you can't really use those because, <laughs> you know, it's not really valuable evidence unless you really got some good witnesses with you. <laughs> yeah. Just lock um, it down while I, while I say everything. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, it happens. If uh, go and listen to the original episode, I'm sure we talked about my Ouija board mushroom UFO experiments. Um, but these things certainly do, begin to appear in a more real sense. It seems when you start out, you know, I don't know what the investigating, not even investigating, experimenting with the phenomenon, trying to manifest it, trying to interact with it. It it starts internally. And then at some point it flips over into a physical reaction where other people are starting to experience the the side effects. Um, And that goes into the ESP theory, the um, extreme ESP or there's a a word for it um, where the, there's this idea that it's all side effects of ESP of extrasensory perception. You know, we don't understand it. And so some people accidentally create ghosts with their brain some people, you know, create these other entities and so on and so forth. Um, again, hard to say. It does seem that information from these entities, um, while 99% of the time it's bullshit, there is these cases, famous cases, where you can get good information from the afterlife, <laughs> quote unquote afterlife or from the aliens or from whatever you're communicating with you do have these incidents where shit sometimes they're right like sometimes shit does get predicted oracle at delphi one of the oldest stories in in human history the bitch nailed it the the king was like doing surgery on a fish or something and she said that's what he's doing and you know back then there was no something she couldn't cheat yeah. <laughs> you know, there was no way she could have known that um and interestingly the the oracles in that situation were huffing volcanic fumes um as like a psychedelic substance so again it it does seem like our minds exist beyond our little meat shell. Um, the extra or the extreme ESP theory says that extra is the source of all this phenomenon, which I think is one that it's an argument we have to consider because um, of all of the things we've just discussed, the similarities between psychedelic experiences and the paranormal, it it, it clearly has something to do with our consciousness. Uh, I think that is one of the, one, one of the base points that is um, out of, uh, is, is no need for further discussion when it comes to what causes paranormal activity. Well, you got to have story. It seems like, um, and then you definitely have to have a consciousness <laughs> interacting with it. it it's uh, if that tree falls in the forest with no one around to hear it, it doesn't make a sound because this phenomenon is, is dependent on us. See, so that almost makes me wonder at a certain point, too, if it's like a matter of there just being something that happens. So then we like manifest a story. So then it's something that we rationalize 
in our minds and just kind of like make up a story to go with it. Or if it's a combination of something where it's more like we manifest something in that area and it's more of like a, like an entity, so to speak, or I guess not even necessarily an entity, but just from like people manifesting it, it actually makes it in turn actually happen in this reality. Like it's just something that we're building. Or if three is one of those things that it's like, if something happens in an area and there's a story that starts there, then is it almost like there's other bad things that are bound to follow just because of everybody already having that idea of that area. So I guess in a way it kind of manifests other bad things to happen. And then it kind of continues on down a trend from there. And then- yeah, I, I think that latter might be close to it. So there, there are terminology for all of these things. So um, there, of course, uh, there's the tulpa, which is when you yourself like spend a lot of time thinking about a ghost and it becomes a ghost, right? You, you can make it look whatever you like, whatever you want. It's this uh, Tibetan word. It comes from these, this idea that you can meditate an entity to be like a little minion for yourself. Um, then there's the idea of the egregore, and that's when society gets together and accidentally or on purpose makes a tulpa like together. Uh, and my go-to example for that is Slender Man, um, where, you know, in the concept of egregores, I think, is, um, is it's, it's a true thing. It's definitely, it's one of those things like, is, you know, is Superman real? Well, yes and no. Like, he's a real concept. There's hundreds of books and movies and, like, it, he exists kind of, <laughs> right? And Slender Man reached that exact same kind of status where he existed kind of. But you have that story. You have um, people experiencing it physically, um, where it wasn't just those girls who stabbed each other um, or the girls who stabbed the other girl. Um, but other people across the U.S. were experiencing, U.S., U.K., anywhere who was reading the Slenderman mythos, people were starting to report these sightings of Slenderman, especially in the early years when it was still in that phase of, is it real, is it fake? You know, the, the history hadn't been tracked as well as it is now. Um, and so it kind of existed as this egregore without a location, without a space. I theorize now that those stabbings occurred, give it a, maybe a decade more. And those will now be the slender man woods though. That's the slender man zone. I think that's probably his home now. If you want to go see Slenderman, that's probably where it's going to happen. When, when ghost hunters and paranormal investigators and researchers start showing up to that area to look for the Slenderman, that's where they're going to start finding them. And that's because, again, paranormal phenomenon seems to appear and it appears to these filters and it uses these stories as a basis for its, its arrival. That could almost be ritualistic, too, in the aspect of, like, if somebody creates the story like that and then somebody mm-hmm. gets murdered in the process of that happening there, that ritual, in a way, could bring that into flourishing because blood's been spilled to create it. Well, absolutely. And even, again, that seems to be true with with most of the haunting stories. Most of them 
revolve around some kind of bloodshed, some kind of violence. Um, and, you know, of course, it seems like many ancient traditions had some kind of understanding of this concept from, you know, death guardians and gods and sacrifices and things like that. The, the idea of creating these entities isn't a new one. It's something that's been around longer than most of our human ideas that we, you know, take for granted today. Um, so it's, again, it, the argument is how, how real is it though? How real are these stories? How real is an entity? And the answer is one that no one likes to hear, but the the answer is real is a spectrum. <laughs> I don't know. Your real is different than my real. That's all I've been able to really figure out. <laughs> I was going to say real is what you make it in a sense. That was kind of what mm-hmm. I was geared towards. <laughs> We're all living in our own realities. And, you know, the, the, the best you can do is keep your reality as open and, and broad and, you know, empathetic as possible. Um, accepting and trying to understand new ideas, but everyone's got their limits, (laughs) you know, everyone's got a a wall that they'll hit at some point, um, where you'll be like, nah, no, that's not, no, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I can't accept that piece of information. And a lot of times rightfully so, but why, the I, I think the answer to to those questions to what is reality, you know, simulation theory and stuff like that, it sits in these outliers that we call the paranormal. It's these situations where something truly bizarre and reality bending is occurring. If we can grab that bend, hold on to it, and be like, hey, come here, reality, and we can take that closer look at the fabric that I think is, um, is the, the goal of the field. And it's probably a few hundred years away. Um, I'd love to be like, I'm the guy who's done it. (laughs) I've got, I've got by my book, all the answers are there. I've cracked the code. Um, but, but hey, it's, it's, everything goes from woo-woo to science after a certain point. <laughs> right. It's, there's a great book on that um, from Dr. Raymond Moody. He's um, a pioneer in um, the uh, uh, near-death experience research. And he wrote a book on nonsense, the theory of nonsense. And I, I think it's really crucial reading to understand logically and philosophically um, the paranormal. And it's one of those ones where like, God, if you, if I could just make uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson read it, (laughs) (laughs) you know, he'd be like, Oh shit. Okay. And like, he'd be like, well, all right. What fuck? Huh? (laughs) You know, he'd, he'd have to consider reconsider his, his viewpoint, especially on things like this. And it's about understanding that, um, nonsense is not false just because something's not, if, by the very definition, if it's nonsensical, it doesn't mean anything, which means it can't be true. It can't be false. But if we look at our history, there are, there is nonsense 
that turns into truth. Right? We've got yeah. alchemy that turned into chemistry. Those were made up words by dudes mixing, you know, shit and gold together in their <laughs> labs until they accidentally discovered sulfur. <laughs> but sulfur was just made up word by some weirdo and until it became a thing. And so nonsense is it's kind of like the precursor of science. <laughs> it's the precursor of how we understand our reality right and that's it's still religion is <laughs> still that right it's a brand of nonsense that you throw over reality and it, it gives you an understanding of what you're experiencing right and science does the same thing uh, we can look we can find nonsensical statements in both right the Everything, uh, nothingness exploded into everything 4 billion, 40 billion years ago. That sentence doesn't mean anything. It's a non, those words are nonsensical together. They don't work together. The same as some dude building a wooden boat and putting two of every animal. Nonsense. It's not, that's, that didn't happen, (laughs) but it's a framework of, of trying to understand reality, which at the root is not understandable. We we don't have the equipment to to make reality into numbers yet. And so we keep trying different brands of nonsense until we find one that is sensical. And so the best we can do is collect the information and put it together and frame all of the, the relevant information try to shave off what isn't and present the picture of these, these cases, these paranormal situations in the most understanding way possible and not saying that, Oh, well, I'm a UFO guy. So I don't want to talk about how the house was haunted because then people will think, you know, I'm a ghost guy and I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm selling this to fucking MUFON. So I don't want to talk about, we can't do any of the ghost stuff or, or they saw a Bigfoot. Oh, well, I don't, we'll, we'll leave that part out, but they saw that UFO. I got to write that down. No, 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 no. These things, these blips in reality, they're, they're related. They're related glitches. I don't know what the glitches are, what the sources of them are, what the issue in the code is, but everything. The DLCs. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Bigfoot DLC, man. Let's do it. Everyone gets their own Chewbacca. <laughs> uh, would you transform into him or would you ride him? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, I think I'd transform into one. I think that'd be a lot sweeter. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, get a couple, I don't couple know, man. You can get Jack height. Black and just ride on the back of a Sasquatch. That sounds pretty interesting, too. Uh, yeah. See, I don't know. I, I feel I'm a, I'm a big guy. I feel bad for the Sasquatch. I but think. I mean, he's like seven uh, foot, though. I'll take. Yeah, I'll take the one foot <laughs> extra height, a little bit of extra hair. I'm, I'm cool with it. I love the hair. <laughs> then you can just fly uh, yourself. It'll be fun. Oh, <laughs> <well>, yeah. <laughs> My conditioner bill will go up, but other than that, all perks. <laughs> I'm joining the NBA. Let's do this. <laughs> um, 
yeah, it's these, it's the errors in reality. That's what the, the paranormal is. And there are these ones that they keep popping up. There's these archetypes that consistently pop up, but around these archetypes are arca symptoms. And those are these psychedelic effects. They, those are the, these balls of light. Those are these stories. And again, the stories might be that's a chicken or the egg scenario on that. that. Um, but by figuring out these similarities, we can focus in and zoom in on the, the trends, the physical bits that we know exist and are part of the phenomenon. Um, and the spheres certainly are are one of those areas where they're. I, I've been to Marfa, Texas. I've seen them. They're right there. They're they're there. I don't know how we get them in a jar or whatever, but they're there. And so that means we can figure them out. You know, it's not something that's uh, a far away, distant story that we we can just sit here and wonder about it's something that we can work on and so i'm i'm, I'm trying my best <laughs> hey man that's all you can do <laughs> oh yeah that's all, all all anyone can do <laughs> <laughs> so i guess before we start wrapping it up then uh i always like to do words of wisdom i know you've probably done them before but I'm, you maybe they'll be a little bit different this time than they were last time <laughs> so if you had some words of wisdom you could bestow on the uh, listeners what would they be um I guess paranormal phenomenon right there. <laughs> um, I guess my words of wisdom would be um, keep an open mind. Fuck. I feel like I said that last time. <laughs> hey, it might be close, but for everybody that hasn't heard uh, it last time, you know, they could see how much has changed or hasn't changed. You know, I, yeah. Well, I'd say keep an open mind, but you know, trust, trust yourself. There's a, I don't believe everyone out there, everyone's selling something. Um, but when it comes to people's realities, what they're experiencing, what they're, they're living, that's the, the part you got to be open to. You don't got to buy the snake oil, but you should try to understand the salesman. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's my words of wisdom. <laughs> I feel like it's tweaked and a little bit different than last time. So either way, it's slightly still different. <laughs> different enough to, to fly. <laughs> and then uh, I guess for the last thing here, uh, if you'd like to drop your plugs, let everybody know where they can come find you if they enjoy the conversation. Yeah, check out me on all the social medias at Chaz of the Dead um, and then Chaz of the Dead.com for all my articles and podcast appearances. Check out this month's September issue of Paranormality Magazine. My beautiful mug will be on the front of it. Um, and you can hear me speaking about the Betts Sphere case in October, October 22nd in Tallahassee at the North Florida Paracon. I'll be giving a, a little lecture about the case and uh, talking about the importance of preserving the Betts house. That was the other thing I didn't want to, I didn't get a touch on, but um Find the link in the bio here where uh, I put a petition up to save the Betts house. Um, it's in a dilapidated state on Fort George Island. Uh, it's in the state's care, but they're not caring for it. 
So we're going to try to get it recognized as a landmark and preserved for future generations of paranormal investigators and history buffs who, who love weird architecture. Um, so if you like any of that stuff, please take a couple minutes to go and sign the petition. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, dude. Thanks for coming back on again. And you'll have to sign me that or send me that petition because I'll, of course, add it into the bottom and I want to sign it myself, of course, too. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming back on for a second time. I'm sure hopefully I can have you back on for a third time. I always have a lot of fun having you on the show. Yeah, I'd love to be on. It's always a blast talking with you, man. I appreciate it. So uh, for all the listeners, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And I guess I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.